Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll be glad you did. 97.1 FM Talk Podcast. Hey, welcome and good morning. This is Wiggins America. We're going to start big. A lot of times we start small. Not this morning. We're starting big. A couple things right off the bat here. I want to address, and they are related to the student debt relief. That's kind of the big news of the week. Let me me back out of that just for a second and say that I heard a couple people, and Mark Cox was actually one of them, talking about how they think this is actually a strategy for the midterms, that they think there's absolutely no legal basis for this and it's not going to happen. Well, if so, that's great. But also if so, then they're probably playing three-dimensional chess here because they know that it's not going to not going to pass, and then they're going to say, "Oh well, but if you vote for us, we will pass it." The counter argument to that is that it will take a little bit too long to work its way through the courts, and the student debt um, repayment is going to start January first. So maybe that's all part of this, and they know all that, and they think, "Well, they're going to take it through this court and this court, and then it's going to get struck down pretty quick." I mean, they could put a nationwide moratorium on it if it's that clearly illegal. I think this is a little bit of a gray area, but it's it seems to me that uh, legally speaking, all the power of the purse has to come from Congress. So forgiving debt is not something that's common. So there's not a lot of precedent for it. But even so. The argument is going to be this is an economic decision that can't be made solely from the White House. You have to have Congress involved. And to me, that's that's probably going to be the way it goes. It, it, the question is, are they planning that <laughs> for the midterms? Are they planning that as a political strategy? I could definitely see that, but I don't know if it'll be quick enough because it's already almost September. How about that? Man, we've had some great weather lately. Yes, it's going to be hot this weekend, so... That's probably why you're up early and listening to Wiggins America because you're getting some stuff done because you know it's going to be hot. But, man, it's been a great August for the most part and really a, a pretty nice summer other than the fact that we've had a ton of rain in July and that caused some problems for me and I know a whole lot of you. Uh, but anyway, this is Wiggins America and I, t- I said that I was, I was taking a step back there because now I want to really dive in to the student debt thing. Not from the standpoint that we've been talking about it, which is just that anger that I can't believe I was so stupid to have paid off my debt, made all these sacrifices. So many of you are saying the same thing because we're all feeling the same thing. We made personal sacrifices to pay off that student debt because we signed a contract. You give me money now, I'll pay it back later. Maybe even with a little bit of interest, and that's what you get out of it, and that's what I get out of it. That's a contract. The government has stepped in now to contracts in many, many ways during COVID and now and said, null and void. I'm actually going to, I being your loving father and master, am going to forgive this debt. And so many of you and myself, we're just mad about it because it's not just that other people got debt forgiven and we didn't. That is a part of it. But we're paying for other people to have that debt forgiven. 
And we were not a party to that. We were not akin to that. And you could say, well, elections have consequences, so you are kind of a party to that. Uh, you you voted for this, even if you didn't technically vote for. Let's put let's put all the election issues of 2020 aside and say this was a fine election. Uh, e- so even if you didn't vote for him, the country did, and these are the consequences of that. The problem is these things, like I said at first, are not necessarily legal. This isn't our legal system. You're breaking the system. So that's going to all play out. But where I want to dive into this deeply is in comments that I've been seeing about this being the most Christian thing that can be done is debt forgiveness. Now you see the parallel there, and I do too, but it's a very shaky one if you look past the just bare veneer. Yes, the 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 Christian faith is based on debt forgiveness. You and I, everybody that's ever been born, were born into a mold that was set by Adam. Adam was perfect. Eve was perfect. But they messed up and they chose wrong and they sinned. And so their seed, which is all of us, have all been distorted and messed up. And we make wrong choices. We make choices that are away from God all the time. And then the debt forgiveness comes. So we have this debt to God that we, we've, we've continually spat in his face, whether we know it or not. You know, that's, I mean, that's part of it is that sometimes we don't even know we're doing it. But God's saying, I'm perfect. You have made choices away from perfection. So what are we going to do about that? Well, he could have just said, let's leave it alone. But he didn't. He sent Jesus. And Jesus was God who came into flesh. He became one of us. And he lived a perfect life. And then he paid our debt by taking all the punishment that we deserve for our wrong choices, again, knowingly or unknowingly. That is debt forgiveness. That, that is cosmic debt forgiveness. And that's a wonderful thing. When you start applying debt forgiveness to real life, you have to do it right. And it is still a good thing to do. So people have brought up, and I'm, I'm seeing this on the socials, which is why I'm addressing it, because it, it just bothers me not just people, but Christians in spe- specific would hear this argument and be so easily led astray on it. And it, it, it's so a, a simple conversation. I mean, we're going to do this in what, five minutes here? A five minute conversation or less could kind of dismantle the whole thing if you're willing to have it. So I said, well, then let's have it. Because to me, that's an important one to have right off the top of the show here. So I think you kind of know maybe where this is headed, that if somebody says, well, the forgiveness of debt is very Christian, therefore we should be always forgiving debt. Well, that's true. That is true. But it's of you personally, or it's of your institution. It's not coercing other people to forgive your debt. And that is a huge, huge difference. In fact, that's an abuse. If you're forcing other people to pay for other people's debt, you are, you're doing something that's actually unbiblical. If Johnny owes Kathy $100,000 for a house, Kathy sold the house to Johnny, and Johnny's living in the house, and I come along as the government or the mayor of the town or something, and I say, you know what, Johnny, your debt is forgiven. You don't have to pay Kathy back anymore. That's wrong. That is wrong on many levels. That's actually stealing, and you're creating squatters, and you're creating... Uh, and I'm trying to find a great example to to uh, 
to display this on that cosmic level, but I don't really think I have to. I think just talking about it in rational terms, that it's not that hard to understand that if if you enter into a contract to pay back debt, that you have to pay back that debt unless the person who signed the contract with you says, I forgive that debt. Basically, I'm taking on your debt. This is not that. This is the government who does not have any money, but only takes money from you, saying, I forgive your debt, and I'm going to take your debt and give it to other people who did not sign that contract with me. That's very, very, very wrong. And again, I'm trying to find some analogy. I don't even think I need to. I think it's it's so plain and easy to understand. But I, I do... I like the fact that we're talking about this in Christian terms. Don't get me wrong. I actually love when people say, well, what's the Christian way? It's just that I see a lot of people doing the, the, the people I see do this the most on social media are people that in almost any other circumstance never bring up Christ in their life or anything. And then all of a sudden, when some sort of government program comes along, they go, oh, this is a good program and here's why based on my faith. Well, if the only time your faith is ever coming up is when the government wants to get bigger and force other people to do the charity that you should be doing. That's not the way to live out a Christian faith. That's not the way to live out a Christian life. So anyway, I think that's, I think that's kind of full circle what I wanted to say about that. I got that out, but really, really quick to the whole comparison. And this is out of the Christian faith conversation and debt forgiveness the whole comparison to PPP money that we're seeing a lot this week, look, it's not just from random social media people. This is from the White House, whitehouse.gov slash Twitter or whatever their account is, um, said this, oh, you took PPP money and we forgave that, and now you don't want us to forgive college loan money? Again, we're talking about things that I don't think I need to come up with analogies for that are just so obviously dumb but maybe they're not, I mean, maybe they're not so obviously dumb. They're to me, they're obviously dumb, but maybe to a lot of people that makes sense that if you took debt forgiveness for one thing, how can you be a hypocrite and condemn debt forgiveness in another way? Well, the circumstances are so dang different when the government, it's all government. It's always government. The government came along and said, you cannot operate a business anymore. Yes. I understand that you do catfish fries every weekend and that your business is based on um, selling fried fish to people on Fridays and Saturdays and Sundays. But you can't do that anymore because coronavirus. Well, wait, but I, I need to make a living. I need to, I have employees. I got to pay people to sell my fish. No, no, no. You can't do that. Okay, well, do you have a solution? Yeah, I do have the solution for you. I'm, I'm benevolent. So, yes, I am shutting you down, but I'm also going to give you a bunch of money. Oh, oh, I, well, I don't want your money, but if you're going to tell me I'm shut down, then I guess I'll have to take it. Yeah, okay. And then I'm going to forgive that debt. That is so different than you saying as an individual, or maybe your fish company says, you know what? I want this fish company to uh, get a new big fish frying building. I'm going to take on the debt to buy that. The government then come along and say, well, you know what? I'm going to forgive that debt and I'm going to spread that debt out to everybody else. That is completely different. That is completely different because in one case, you were told what you had to do. And in the other case, you chose to do something. 
That is the whole point of it. So hopefully, I kind of want to get all, all that off my chest first thing in the morning. Hopefully that came through. We're going to take a quick break. Got a whole lot of show coming up, so stick around. If you gossip about him, if you never have mercy, if he gets into trouble and you don't try to help him, then you don't love your neighbor, then you don't love Baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up. And your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place. Exclusive interviews with players, coaches, and team executives streaming live and always available on demand. Stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the Odyssey app. Trisha's here, and she's really concerned with the FBI. At least that's what she tells me. Yeah, they're everywhere. Are they, I'm, it, I'm concerned not about this Trump thing. I'm concerned about uh, my own personal. You're concerned about FBI here in St. Louis? Mm-hmm. In this building, maybe? Watching you. Specifically. How concerned are you with the Trump thing? Is it? Mm, I can't tell if I'm supposed to be. Well, I I, I can't imagine... It seems like everybody, okay, let me back away from this and just try to give a non-objective or a, a very objective, non-partisan review of this. Everybody's really interested in it. Because they made it a spectacle. Because it's so weird, this doesn't happen. And I think everybody's interested in it for different reasons. We're interested in it because we're like, look, deep state gone awry. The left is interested in it because they're like, well, this is where we finally get him. Mm-hmm. We know he's guilty. We just have to find the evidence, you know. So I I just wonder where you, because you're not plugged into any particular show other than this show, you're not plugged into the daily shows on ninety seven one like you had been in the past. You're doing different stuff here. You're still all around it, obviously, and plugged in, you know, in the sense that we're a news, but you're not pulling clips and stuff. Right. So I, my question for you is, as a person who's you know, aware of the news, but not necessarily forced to dive in deep. Is this something that you're following closely? Not closely, as much as anybody else, because it's so in our face. I would be shocked if this was the thing that took President Trump down. I think my initial reaction to it is, okay, just because we watched the Russia hoax for so long. Yeah. And we watched time and time and time again. Uh, the powers that be, for lack of a better word, try to take down former President Trump unsuccessfully. I don't think that I think that he's always a few steps ahead when it comes to these types of things. But I could be wrong. No, that's an interesting way to put it, though, because I up until you said that sentence, I was tracking right with you because I'm like, well, that's good to hear, because that's where I think most people are <clears throat> is and, and maybe middle. Right. You know, I think this is really polling wise this is really turned off obviously Republicans, but it's really turned off independents because they view this as, yeah, this is this is the state. This is the government gone awry that looks like tin pot dictatorship stuff. And everything you were saying up until then is 
and he's been through that already. Therefore, here's another one. And then we're all going, yeah, it's kind of a, just another example. Chalk it up on the chalkboard of another thing that they're going to do to try to take him down, keep him from becoming president. But the last thing you said there, can you say that again? What was it again? I don't remember what I said there. Well, it was. Oh, always three steps ahead. Always three steps ahead. See, that sounds like he's, he's almost planning this. But that's not what you're saying. I'm not. That is not what I meant. My, I think he's somebody that is a thinker of like. Here are things that could happen. Here's he's preparing how for I, the worst. He's prepared. I think he's a prepared person. Yeah. Although I have heard that conspiracy theory floated. I have too, and I think it's stupid. It's got to be right. It, that that he, he did this on that purpose. That he would want this to happen. That he wanted this to happen to endear himself. I mean, it's it's costing him money. So I can't imagine him wanting... No, he likes money. He likes money a lot, and he's under investigation. In fact, that's almost a separate point that I've made. I think last week I talked about this a little bit when you weren't in the room, that it's not just Russia collusion. It's not just FISA warrants. It's not just these things in the FBI right now and, and a couple other things that you could chalk up on the same, you know, ones that everybody knows about. But it's it's constant investigations from... The New York Attorney General, who, pre, who I think her name is Letitia James, she ran on taking Trump down as Attorney General. There's clearly no objectivity there. Right. I mean, she she's like, if you elect me, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to put Trump under constant investigation. That is terrible and wrong. And everything in me says, well, this woman should not have that position then because that's a terrible abuse of power. But that's what she ran on, and that's who the voters voted for. So shame on them. Shame on the people of New York for voting for that because they have forgotten what the point of justice is. And that's, to me, the whole point of this is that we're talking about a system now where everybody should agree that the justice system should be Lady Liberty with the blindfold around her face. And there are a lot of people who do not believe that anymore. They believe that if you are doing something toward the ends I want, then justice is what I want it to be, which is kind of a bigger conversation, Mm -hmm. but it's all related to this stuff. So that to me is why this is interesting and why it should not really go away. Uh, It's been oddly a a slower news cycle over the last couple of weeks. Aside from that, that one thing overshadowed the Build Back Better, the the climate bill that they passed called the Inflation Reduction Act mm-hmm. that would have been kind of the, that would have been the heat-seeking missile that had all the attention, but this took it all. And I guess, follow-up question, do you think this is, has helped Trump endeared him to the electorate again? I think it has endeared him to the people that already cared to, to be endeared to him. I don't think that it broadened the tent for him. I don't think it brought any new Trump supporters to the show because there were a lot of people in the middle that supported Trump because he's better than the alternative and they Mm -hmm. cared about the economy. And but they didn't like the theatrics around it. They didn't like the disruption of resources at that level that may not be necessarily his fault, but his actions provoked. Some could make that argument Mm -hmm. that I think this will probably be a turnoff. I may be asking, I may disagree with you on that, but I I still think that's a very valid opinion and maybe going beyond where you even are thinking about right now, but I'm going to ask you anyway, what do you think is going to happen in the midterms? Is this going to be a a huge red wave? Is it going to be, you know, kind of a red swoon 
or it, do the Republicans take back the Senate? Like, are you watching any of that? I think the state of the economy and where people's pocketbooks are will help the Republicans in the midterms. Mm-hmm. I don't think that this deal with Donald Trump and the FBI raid and the classified documents does anything in the midterms. Okay. I do think, I was talking to Brad Range, Annie Fry's executive producer earlier last week, and we were talking about how many people will go down in flames, not for Trump, but for their hatred of Trump. Mm-hmm. I think that Liz Cheney thing's really interesting, mm-hmm. how she is willing to die on that hill. Yeah. And, how many people have literally sacrificed everything for their hatred of a person. It, there is no doubt that he has changed the political landscape. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and I, I don't know if we're coming back from it. I, a lot of people are saying we need to move on from Trump simply because he's such a lightning rod that he causes such emotional reactions from everybody that <clears throat> there's really we we got to get past him to see any sort of healing or any, uh, I don't want to use the word objectivity again, but leaving your emotions at the door and voting for somebody on policy rather than personality. And I understand that. I just think that in, in conclusion to kind of the question that I was asking you, which is, is this going to affect, is the FBI raid going to affect the midterms and is it affecting independent voters? I think the answer to both of those things is yes, simply because they're connected to me that I do believe and maybe it's not independence that I'm talking about so much as people who were just ready to move on. They didn't dislike Trump. They probably would vote for Trump again. So it may not affect Trump's numbers in 2024. But I think these are people who are realizing that the the state as it is and the power of the government, which is something that Trump and kind of the MAGA world has talked about a lot, really is a problem. And a lot of those people that I don't, again, don't necessarily want to call them the middle, but they're people who they might have been turned off by a Carrie Lake. And now all of a sudden they're going, actually, you know what? Maybe she's right about Washington. Maybe she's right about the shadow government, the deep state and all this stuff beyond the border and things that, you know, she's she's mm-hmm. running on that kind of stuff that's kind of plain normal. I shouldn't say normal, but at least stuff that everybody understands. But then there's the kind of a little bit more conspiratorial stuff, which this falls into that category, that I think this wakes a lot of people up to the possibility that that is going on, and maybe it turns them out a little bit in the midterms. Maybe. I don't know that your average voter is that in tuned with the yeah. the whole idea of a deep state. I don't know. That's I guess that's the question yeah. that will be answered. Yeah, because we're going to go around and ask every single voter. You know what we're going to do is we're going to let the voters tell us via their vote wow on november 8th yeah you know like that but, to me that's but then the ultimate we're gonna point. have to go back and and find all of those voters and ask why they pull oh because you know okay. what i mean because okay. i don't know i might i might be going and voting for republicans because i want gas prices lower not oh. because i think the doj is coming to get me i think we should just take it for for whatever we want it to be. Absolutely. And then we should talk about it like it's fact. Yeah. November 9th, whatever happens, it will confirm what we just said. Exactly. And I'll be true. I'll be honest. I don't even know what we just said. You said that you think there will be a pull for people (laughs) to vote Republican because they think that they're waking up a little bit to the deep state. Did I? And I said (laughs) that I think there will be a full Republican because of the state of the economy and Mm -hmm. these horrible policies. Well, but November 9th, whatever happens, we're both right. mm -hmm. We'll pull we'll pull this tape.
and play it back and then say, well, I guess we're well, all winners. We were right. That's what we'll say. <laughs> we were right about everything. You know what's be crazy? Is Look if, at us. Is if we walk away from all of this, none of the people we mentioned in this win at all, which is really just Carrie Lake, but we walk away going, man, the only big winner of November 8th was Dr. Oz. <laughs> Wouldn't that be the wild? Uh, everything else happened just randomly, but Dr. Oz walked away like a 20-point winner in Pennsylvania. Yeah, Ain't going to happen, but that would be the best because it know. would shock everyone, including me. That's not going to happen. All right, uh, Trisha, let's talk some more. Okay. Take a quick break. We'll be right back. It's Wiggins America. How you doing? If you're just tuning in, then hi. If you are listening because you've been listening all morning, then great. I'm glad you're here and I'm glad you've stuck around because uh, this is this is the stuff that we've been kind of waiting for. And nothing's going to happen now. So keep that in mind that until at least January, none of this will probably matter. Other than news coverage of it, which is, I guess, I'm doing my part to get this out there. But uh, reading this from Conservative Brief, which I don't know. I don't love Conservative Brief. Jenna Ellis and Dinesh D'Souza and others promote this site a lot. So I don't know if maybe they have a financial interest in it or what. But it's it's one of those sites that if you read the story, the story is usually fairly interesting and true. It's not that they peddle misinformation or anything. It's that they always have really crazy headlines, bombshell or you're not going to believe this huge news. And then you read it and you're like, well, that's, that's news. But if every single thing is huge news, then nothing's huge news. Well, that was the case with this one, but I clicked on it because I thought the topic was interesting. It says Republicans vow investigation into Fauci. Fauci made news this week, announcing that he's going to retire. And this is probably why if they win back Congress, now Republicans say that they're going to launch investigation into Dr. Anthony Fauci. If they win back Congress, in November slash when they take control in January, according to Senator Rand Paul. He says he will subpoena Fauci's records if Republicans retake the Senate and he becomes chairman of a committee. That's a big if. We don't know for sure that we... Okay, I'm going to say we don't know for sure anything because that's what I'm supposed to say, but they're going to take back the House. Whether they take back the Senate is a big, big question mark. We just don't know. It's going to be very close. Uh, But he says he's going to go after his records and have an investigator go through piece by piece because we don't want this to happen again. Jim Jordan in the House is saying the same thing. So regardless of whether the Senate gets taken by Republicans, Jim Jordan and somebody in the House are going to do it no matter what. Um, Republican Kansas Senator Roger Marshall, who's a friend of Jordan's, released Fauci's financial records. So I don't know how this, this senator got his records, but it says that the records show that Fauci and his wife have a combined net worth of around $10 million. Now, he's been making money in government for a long time, and his retirement, reportedly, when he retires this this year, will be $350,000 for the rest of his life. He'll be one of the highest-pensioned, if not the most high highest-pensioned um, government workers in history. So that's a lot of money, and he's been in government work for 50 years the guy's 80-something years old, so he could amass that kind of wealth. However, it's also possible that you could amass that kind of wealth really quickly by having friends in high places. 
and taking kickbacks, and he's been questioned about that quite a bit. As you know, Rand Paul and him have gone back and forth, and Fauci has said unequivocally, go through my records. You will find nothing. And if so, great. But I guess we're all a little suspicious, right? The reason that we're suspicious is because we know how many of these people are in bed together and how many people will work at Pfizer, for instance, and then go work for the CDC or for the FDA. And they, it's like a revolving door where they're all friends. They're all in on it together. So why wouldn't you? You can make a lot more money at Pfizer than you can in government work. So you, I, you don't even necessarily need kickbacks. But Fauci's been in government forever. He hasn't worked for private companies. So maybe that's the way he would do it. I, again, we don't know, but that's the implication that's being made by Jim Jordan and by Rand Paul. Is the, and I mean, I'm saying this not as conjecture. That is the claim that's being made by Rand Paul. He's saying, you have been taking kickbacks. We know that you have. He's, he's said that in interviews. I mean, I could pull them up right now. But here's why this stuff gets even shadier than just, it's not just Anthony Fauci. It's all of it. All of it together. The big ball of wax comes out of your ear. This is from Red State. This is an investigative report from Red State. And it's an exclusive. It says, the CDC director, Walensky, you know her. Her husband received $5 million in HHS grants. And listen to how this plays out. So this is all swampy stuff. And everybody's, nobody's, nobody's worried about it when it happens to a Democrat or some sort of agency figure like this who works in lockstep with the Democrats. But anytime it's anybody else, then it's all over the place. Well, we're doing our part to provide cover for all of it because none of it's okay. It says, new information provided exclusively to Red State about CDC Director Rochelle Walensky is finding multiple ways that she's benefited from her, her position. Walensky, who took over as director with Biden's inauguration, is married to Lauren D. Walensky, a renowned pediatric oncology researcher at the Dana-Farber Cancer Institute at Harvard. In October of 2019, Lauren Walensky became the scientific co-founder and a member of the board of directors of Lytica Therapeutics. So some random company, Lytica Therapeutics an early-stage biotechnology company working on an innovative platform for developing next-generation antimicrobials. Just four months after Walensky, Rochelle Walensky's husband um, became a member of the board of directors on this Lydica Therapeutics, Lydica received a $16.9 million HHS grant to develop antibacterial peptides with broad activity against multi-drug resistant bacteria. Only 5.3 million of that money was initially distributed to Lydica, and the remaining 11.6 million is scheduled to be dispersed upon the achievement of certain milestones. But uh, the article's author says that he's worked previously in the world of grant writing and can tell you that most agencies will not give grants to organizations that have existed for less than a year, which this one had, four months. And organizations that have no other stream of funding, and this particular in this particular case, which monitors fundings for corporations and nonprofits, shows the only funding that Lydica had to date is 5.3 million allocated from that grant. So tell me that doesn't sound nice and crappy. This stuff, these are government. This government all, they're all buddies, and they're all. They all have so much access to so much money 
There's so much money in this. So they all just, pardon the phrase, they all just circle jerk around and they pay each other and then they switch positions. <laughs> no pun intended. And they just keep paying each other uh and then they appoint each other at the top of these boards and they create companies that receive grants. This is the game. That is the game. And so I'm not saying that had much to do with coronavirus. It's just, it's all shady and it's all these wealthy government people. This is what socialism looks like. The people at the top love it because they control everything. <clears throat> they're all buddies. They're all buying each other's yachts and they're all going on trips together or whatever it is. They all know each other and this is the way it plays out. And it's just gross to watch. And we all knew it was happening, this kind of stuff, but I don't know why now it's like more people are interested in it or more people are, are reporting on it, not in the mainstream media, but enough people of the sort of secondary tier of media are beginning to do investigative reporting, maybe because they know there's no reporting happening otherwise. I don't know, but I'm glad to see it happening because you know it's not news. You know that this stuff's always happened. But there needs to be better accountability, and there hasn't been. More Wiggins America coming up. Joining me this morning on Wiggins America is Jack Brown, constitutional law professor for Pacific Legal, which I love, by the way. Pacific Legal is awesome. Jack, thanks for being here. Well, hey, thanks for having me on. So uh, I've been reading your article in The Hill about what's going on in California schools. Just kind of lay the landscape. What is it? Certainly. Well, the reason that my colleague Ethan Blevins and I co-wrote that op-ed was because a number of California school districts have been adopting a model school curriculum called Liberated Ethnic Studies that requires in its lesson plans for students to um, se separate themselves and reflect on their supposed racial privilege and also reflect on their racial ancestors. And we believe that that violates the Equal Protection Clause of the 14th Amendment, which requires states to treat um, its citizens, their citizens, impartially. So, Jack, explain that a little bit for me. Is, is this a clever way of just doing critical race theory under a different name, or is this different than CRT? It, it is effectively what is colloquially known as CRT, yes. Okay. And so California is apparently trying to sort of get around the social pushback against CRT by doing this. And Is this a statewide thing, or is this in certain districts, or what? An earlier draft of it was actually vetoed by Governor Gavin Newsom because um, and the earlier draft was dogged, was effectively dogged by accusations of anti-Semitism um, throughout its um, time in the public. Um, effectively, the original version of the curriculum effectively didn't really treat anti-Semitism as a form of hate, or at least didn't really give much attention to it. So it ended, up, it ended up getting vetoed. And as a result of that, now individual school districts are trying to adopt it instead. So, Jack, I want to ask you about the, the legal strategy you're taking here, but I want to talk about it in a broader context, too. So first, explain a little bit about what... <laughs> Is this the kind of thing that's happening across the country, and will your lawsuit apply to more than just California schools? Well, so just to clarify, we are not uh, currently 
pursuing any California school districts on this issue, although we are interested in developing a case on the subject. So if there are any parents um, who are interested in this issue, we have a, um, a case development form on our website that they can access. But um, effectively, uh, this issue is pretty um, rampant throughout the country. There was recently a federal lawsuit filed in the District of Nevada where, in which um, a biracial high school student sued the school district in question because the curriculum effectively accused him of being an oppressor, and um, the te- one of the teachers told him that his um, white father probably physically abused his black mother based on their oppressor-oppressed status. It's really, really awful. Jack Brown is on the phone with his constitutional law fellow for Pacific Legal. I guess the big question is always why, you know, and, and maybe that's not one that you want to dive all the way into, but it just seems like we as a society – We've got to be asking these questions. Why are we so obsessed with teaching kids about uh, hierarchies of power and where they fall into that? And at it, and such a young age, I'm not saying it's necessarily a conversation that can't be had. I don't know that we're having that right conversation regardless of age. But why kids? Why are we pushing this on kids? Well, I mean, it really is beyond absurd that we're still – effectively having to relitigate the civil rights movement all of these years later. I mean, one of the reasons that Ethan and I co-wrote the op-ed was because this is what Martin Luther King marched to try to stop. He said that we should be judged based on the content of our character rather than the color of our skin. And I think that there are, you know, people, because it's politically convenient for them um, who effectively don't want to take that lesson to heart. And that's why we're still fighting, fighting about these issues all these years later, but it it really is beyond ridiculous. Um, I think these programs entrench racial divisions. Yeah. Yeah. And Jack, do you find, you know, as, as you're looking across the landscape of these things and obviously looking into them deeper than I am, um, that there are administrators or even school boards who who don't like this, but this is kind of the 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 stream. This is you know this is the way things are going. So I'm not going to speak up. Like, are there a lot of middle ground people who just need to say no? Yes, and that's why uh, we at PLF are interested in developing a case on this, these issues, and why we stand ready to help parents who are frustrated pursue civil rights lawsuits to try to put a stop to it. What do you do if you're a parent? Like, what, what's, what's the practical, as we kind of close out here, what, what is the practical steps that somebody listening this morning can take if they say, you know what, this is in my school right now? Do, what do you suggest they do? Do they approach their school board? Do they approach an administrator? Do they talk to you? I mean, what do they do? Uh, they could certainly talk to us because we are, as I alluded to, we are very interested in developing some cases on this issue because these issues are very clearly – 14th Amendment violations, and we'd like to put a stop to it. Yeah. And just across the country, are you paying attention to specifically California, or is this something you're monitoring in all 50 states? Oh, we're very interested in pursuing cases related to this in all 50 states. Okay. All right. And again, how do people get a hold of you? Uh, We have our website is www.pacificlegal.org, and we have a, a form on our website through which you can contact us if you think you have a good case. 
Sounds good. Jack, I really appreciate what you guys do at Pacific Legal and uh, keep us informed of what happens. Hey, thanks so much for having me on. All right. And more Wiggins America as we get close to the top of the hour here. Stick around. One more hour to go. Wiggins America. More at 971talk.com. Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcast. You'll be glad you did.